hello again. Thanks for having me back. Uh, my name is Craig Tucker, and uh, keep, please keep your Bibles open uh, at Ruth chapter 2 as we uh, keep working our way through the book of Ruth today. Remember, there's time for questions at the end. If uh, you've got questions from the things I've said and from, from the chapter. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, as we come again to this Old Testament wisdom book, the book of Ruth, this story from another age that seems so foreign and distant for us, we pray that in your word you will show us what it means for us to be wise, to know your wisdom, that we might live the lives you have given us, that we might live in your world in a way that truly honours you, in a way that lives life in all its fullness and richness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Philip Yancey, if you know his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, he begins with a story of a friend of his, a counsellor who works in Chicago. A prostitute came to him one day for help in, in his um, counselling uh, office. She was desperate, homeless, drug addicted and infected with AIDS. But in their first session, uh, through her tears, she wanted to tell him of her great shame. Not that she was homeless or a sex worker, but in her desperation to support her drug habit, she had begun to allow a pedophile ring to sexually abuse her daughter, her little girl, in exchange for drug money. Terrible story. And Yancey's friend says... I had no idea where to start. Here I was, a trained, experienced counsellor. I had no idea what to say to this woman. At last I asked her if she'd ever thought of going to a church for help. And he says, I'll never forget the look of pure shock that crossed her face. To a church, she said, that would be the last place I'd go. Why would I ever go near a church? I'm already feeling terrible about myself. They'll only make me feel worse. That story begins Philip Yancey's book that reflects on the kind of welcome people get at church, the kind of picture of God people get from the way God's people respond to them. Do God's people really reflect his attitudes? reflect his concern for those who come to seek him, his forgiveness of whatever the past holds, his love for sinful people. You might want to think for a moment, uh, what what kind of response would that woman get, or a woman like that, who came seeking after God, what kind of welcome would she receive at your church if she turned up this Sunday? Or from you, if next Sunday you find her taking the seat beside you? What would you say? How would you respond? As we continue with the book of Ruth, we need to ponder that question. What kind of welcome should you expect from the people of God if you come seeking God and his refuge? It's a question we started to think about last week as we saw Naomi and Ruth, two widows, coming from Moab to the land of Israel. Naomi, an Israelite, 
who's stuffed up big time with God, coming reluctantly home, back to God and his people, loudly complaining about how harsh God is, that God has made her life bitter. She's confident. Nothing but emptiness awaits her with God. And Ruth, her daughter-in-law, a stranger to God and his people from Moab, a people despised by the Israelites. And think about it, her accent, her clothes, her appearance, everything about her will betray who she is. As these two arrive in Israel, this is not going to be easy. What kind of welcome is in store for them? Well, as chapter 2 begins, we meet Boaz. And they say in the Hollywood movies there's a bit of a formula. In the first scene where you're introduced to the hero, he usually you know, patters, pats a dog or, or helps a little boy who drops his things or you know, opens the door for a, a pretty lady, those kind of things. The little subconscious clues to signal the kind of character he is. Well, Boaz is introduced, uh, not uh, patting dogs or opening doors, but from this fir- the first moment we meet him, with God's blessing on his lips, a pattern of things to come. And the first time he opens his mouth, if you look in verse 4, he greets his workers, the Lord be with you. And they reply, the Lord bless you. And in the warmth of that exchange, right at the outset, you know, here is something a bit strange, something I reckon very un-Australian, a workplace, a boss, it seems, who really cares about his workers who wants them to have the blessing of God. And even stranger still, workers who actually seem warm about the boss and care for him. There's something something a bit strange about this guy. And blessing, in fact, is more than just talk with Boaz. The more we see him, the more more we see his words are matched by his actions. There is blessing in everything he does. Look in verse 6. He's introduced to Ruth. He asks, who's that? And notice the foreman not even use her name. Notice you look in verse 6, the foreman simply says, or she is the Moabitess. No name, no, no, no identity except she's from Moab. And remember, keep remembering in the story, what a stigma that is. A reminder that the big thing that people immediately see about her, the, the only thing they notice is that she is from Moab. In fact, if you look in the verse, the foreman says it twice over. He says, she is the Moabitess who came from Moab with Naomi. Moabitess from Moab, where else do Moabite women come from? Which makes what happens next so surprising. She comes to scavenge food in his field to pick any heads of barley that the workers missed as they go through the harvest. But he calls her over and immediately has words of blessing for her as well. Displays surprising kindness. He says, if you think about it, to this foreigner, count yourself as though you're one of my own servants. You're under my protection. You're welcome to drink where they drink, gather where they gather. He treats her, the Moabite girl from Moab, as though she were an Israelite. Then, verse 14, if you look, he invites Ruth to eat with him. Bread, wine, roasted grain. In fact, he plies her with so much food, she has a doggy bag to take home at the end to Naomi. Then in verse 15, she gets up after lunch. Boaz takes the men aside. 
let it go wherever she wants. Don't let it just be behind. In fact, pull out a few extra stalks and drop them behind you. Without embarrassing her with an outward show of charity, quietly, Boaz makes another act of generosity. And if you look in verse 18, at the end of the day, Ruth struggles home loaded with enough stalks to thresh, I've done the calculate, the maths for you, 22 litres of grain. What she carries home would have weighed about 30 kilos. Have you ever carried that much weight for you know, a period of time, a distance? How does she manage? She walks home quite literally, staggering under the weight of Boaz's generosity. But do you hear the sinister edge in his words? Look back at verse 8. He warns her to stay in his field, on his farm, because no one will touch her there. There's a dark hint here. It seems not everywhere in Israel will welcome a Moabite girl this way. Single woman, more than that, she's a Moabite woman. She stands out, she has no rights, no protection, so easily exploited, so vulnerable. It's an idea underlined by, by the writer. If you look down in verse 22, the, the same issue is raised again at the end of the chapter, this time by Naomi, just in case we missed it from Boaz. She says to Ruth, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. The Oklahoma City bombing on the April the 19th, 1995, uh, took out a government building in downtown Oklahoma City. Uh, the attack claimed the lives of 168 people and left over 800 people injured. Until 9-11, it was the worst terrorist attack on US soil and then it was totally overshadowed by the, the events of 9-11. But at the time, it was an event that shook the world. Immediately... Middle Eastern Muslim extremists were blamed for the attack. And uh, the family that lived next door to us, we lived in Blacktown at the time, an Afghani refugee family, their Afghani daughter at preschool was spat on and punched in response to that event. She said to my son, who also went to preschool there, I wish I looked like you. She knew what it meant to be an outsider, to stand out from everyone, for everyone to see, to so easily be the soft target, to be so vulnerable. Of course, three months later when they actually arrested Timothy McVeigh, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Presbyterian for the Oklahoma bombing, nobody punched or spat my blue-eyed blonde-haired Presbyterian son. More than talk, Boaz is a bloke committed to what God is committed to, a man who will use his strength to protect the weak and the vulnerable. But the key to getting Boaz is a little piece of dialogue from verse 10, if you have a look. It's interesting, Ruth is confused by Boaz, taken aback that he'd be so generous to a foreigner. But Boaz explains himself like this. He says, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law, how you left your father and mother, your homeland, and came to live with a people you didn't know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. 
May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. At first he seems to be saying, gee, um, you've been so kind to Naomi, so I'll be kind to you. Naomi is actually a relative of Boaz. Verse 11, he's saying something a bit more than that. Boaz is saying, anyone who seeks refuge under the wings of my God is going to find refuge with me. If they come seeking his welcome, they are more than welcome with me as well. Boaz is quite consciously someone committed to what God is committed to, for people to come into God's kingdom and into relationship with him. It's funny, you know, the way he says in verse 11, may God repay you for what you've done, for your kindness to Naomi. But, you know, Boaz isn't going to sit back and wonder how God might do that. Watch to see how God might possibly reward Ruth. He's giving her the doggy bag, taking her under his protection. He seems eager to see himself as the way God might bring blessing to others. Now, it's an Old Testament story, what Boaz does, the way Ruth is welcomed by Boaz, in my field you'll be safe. Simply what what God in the Old Testament commanded about caring for the foreigner in Israel. The way Ruth gathers leftovers in the field, simply what God in his law required of landowners to leave enough behind so the poor had something to eat. You could say, well, Boaz, he's just keeping the rules. But you know, more than that, his words to Ruth show us. Boaz knows what's behind the law, the reason God gave those commands. The Old Testament continually spelled it out. When the people of Israel, when they were slaves in Egypt, homeless and helpless, God had welcomed them in and made them his own, given them refuge and shown them great kindness. And so God keeps saying in the Old Testament law, look after the alien, the stranger who comes seeking refuge in Israel because that's what you once were and that's what I did for you. Boaz shows us. We learn how to be wise in our relationships, how to love others by looking at the way God does things, pondering the way he has loved his people. Boaz pictures for us someone kind to others because he has encountered the great kindness of God lavished upon him. Generous because he has known God's undeserved rescue from slavery who offers refuge because of the refuge and shelter he delights in and has found with God. And is that not what the New Testament says to you and me most clearly in Jesus? If you want to be wise in life and bring God's wisdom to your relationships, keep looking at the supreme demonstration of God's wisdom at the cross. Keep looking at the way God has loved you in the death of Jesus so that you might love others as he has loved you, that you would forgive as God has forgiven you, that you would accept one another and as God in Christ has accepted the New Testament, keeps on making that point, reminding us of that idea, to remember who we are, not slaves in Egypt, but sinners in eternal chains, bound for hell, fully deserving God's judgment for eternity. 
to remember what God did. He didn't choose you, he didn't place his kindness upon you because you're particularly clever or gifted or we're going to be a particular asset in his purposes. But simply out of his grace to someone undeserving. I said last week, Ruth is an an Old Testament book, one of the five wisdom books of the Old Testament. There to teach us how to look at life in God's world wisely and live it well. So let me me finish up today. Take a bit of time to do it, but let me finish, finish up by saying three practical things for us about wisdom now from what we see in Ruth chapter 2. How, how does the book of Ruth function as a wisdom book for us? Three things. Our generosity, our words, and our welcome. Three wisdom implications. Our generosity, our words, our welcome. You see... There's a kind of worldly wisdom that says be safe and sensible. That's what wisdom is. Get your finances sorted and then you can be generous with others, which of course may mean that you never have to get around to being generous with anyone because you're never quite comfortable enough yet. And normally when we do get around to being generous, it's with those people who can give us something in return. There's a a friendship that we'd like to cultivate, a favour they can give us or simply so that people will feel well of me. But if Boaz is our model for wisdom and Jesus giving himself at the cross, the great act of God's wisdom, it tells us the wise life is not safe and sensible, but radically generous, and that there is a joy in loving others, a joy to be had simply in giving, expecting nothing in return. That is the great life to live. Uh, I was brought up in a family where stinginess was the great virtue, the great wisdom. Stingy people put things aside, they get ahead in life. My parents, they didn't call it stinginess, you know, they call it you know, sensibleness and, uh, and good stewardship, but stinginess is what it was. I can remember going as a kid to, uh, to visit a man my father greatly admired. My dad was in business in the city, good friends with this bloke. He was a millionaire several times over, property developer in Sydney, he lived in a flat that took out the whole top floor of a hotel in the CBD. I didn't think much of the time. You know, it's just one of those boring visits you do with the grown-ups that you just sit there and you're not really part of. But I look back now and realise what a sad figure he was. We would always visit on Christmas Day and he was always alone. And he would give to, to my mum a Christmas present worth two or three dollars one year it was actually a five-pack of Wedexes that he got from the supermarket. A millionaire. Uh, kids, we'd get a, a packet of chocolate biscuits each, which actually seemed okay at the time. But I look back now and realise there's something tremendously sad about someone so rich and yet so poor. But don't wait till you're a millionaire. Even in the little things of life, even as impoverished students... Notice how Boaz is generous, even in the small things that he does. In every situation, there's a warmth about every, everything, every, everything he, every situation he enters into. His kindness is not just expressed in big sacrifices. But notice how the story works with just a drink in the heat of the day. Sending Ruth home with a doggy bag to take the time to sit with her in the lunch break. There's no divide for him between big and small. Every situation, 
he enters into looking for an opportunity to show generosity. And in the little things, think about his words. Uh, The Old Testament tells us, you want to be wise? You have to think about your words. The book of Proverbs, the great Old Testament wisdom book, has loads to say about how we speak more than anything else. Fools speak quickly, blurt out whatever comes to them without thinking. Fools talk and never listen. I never think that the other person might have anything that they could learn from. Know anyone like that? They talk over the top of you, always giving their opinions. The wise person thinks carefully about the power of their words to be truthful and helpful and full of love. Uh, Proverbs says the wise friend will even say tough things sometimes, but will even do that in a way that is skillfully, skillfully gentle and with careful kindness for the good of their friends. The wise person is quick to see and speak about the good in others, to praise them and slow to criticise and condemn. In the original Old Testament order, we talked about this last week, the the Bible that Jesus read, the wisdom books were together. And after all the the theory you'd read about wise words in Proverbs, you would suddenly turn the page to the book of Ruth, to a story that fleshes out those principles in some quite striking examples. Think last week about Naomi. What stood out about her? Her words, her foolish talk, full of grumbling and bitterness toward God, describes God as harsh and stingy and burdensome, even as we saw him being kind and generous in bringing her back to Israel. And what about Boaz here? What stands out about him? that you're really drawn to him. It's his warm words. To those who work work for him, his employees, his kind words to a strange woman scavenging in his fields, quick to speak even well of a Moabite girl, praises Ruth for her kindness to Naomi. He takes a big risk doing that. I mean, what will the neighbours think, you know, that 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 he's welcoming and kind and speaks like this to a Moabite girl? Not everyone, remember, would treat her this way. And Ruth too is quick to speak and appreciate his kindness. The wise person knows words seem small but are very powerful. Can I ask you to think, are you a whinger and a grumbler and a criticiser? Or do you look for the things that are good and wonderful about others and focus on them? Are you quick to run people down with, their, with your words when they're not there? Do you never get around to actually letting people know what you appreciate about them? Thanking people who have been kind to you. You know, in the web of your relationships, if you think for a minute, with your words, where could you be more generous rather than stingy and begrudging? As a son or a daughter? Uh, as a friend? even with complete strangers in need. With your lecturers, is it the thing that Christians are known for on campus, the way that they speak? Our generosity, our words and our welcome. Most of all, Boaz models how the people of God 
need to wisely welcome outsiders seeking after God. Even the book of Ruth, you can start to see a warm welcome for people coming home to God. Keep making your welcome just as warm. If you are a Christian, if you know the kindness of God in Jesus, are you being like Boaz? Are you seeking to be the way God's blessing in the gospel might come to others? A friend of mine studying at SNBC, Sydney Missionary Bible College, a few years ago, went on a college mission for a week to the Sydney suburb of Campsie. Some of you uh, may come from Campsie, uh, but for those of you who don't know, uh, Campsie is an area with a significant population of first-generation immigrants. Southeast Asia, Korea, Middle East. As they went from door to door, you know, giving people a leaflet, telling about them some stuff happening at church, the response was amazing. Uh, people wanted to engage them in conversation, invite them into their homes. They, you know, they'd get out food and drink. Uh, they'd want to talk about things. It was starting to take them heaps longer to get through each street than they'd been allocated. And they were getting in trouble from the team leader and the whole week of missions started to fall hopelessly behind schedule. The reason for the warm response, these people invariably said, This is the first time an Anglo-Saxon Australian has stopped to speak with them respectfully and kindly. Uh, They interacted with people at the shops, uh, people in government departments, at the bank, with their neighbours. But something about these students who had come to their homes and spoken words of welcome, words that were polite and gracious. You know, in our city... It is not always easy to be the newcomer. It's amazing how simply with words, the smallest acts of kindness can have an amazing impact. The gospel of Jesus got a hearing in many homes where it might not have otherwise have done. One of my disappointments at the church that I'm at, I can say this today because there's no one here from my church unlike yesterday, is is the way that visitors are often treated you know, they're left by themselves while, while all our regulars catch up with each other. And you'll know, if you've been a stranger at church, if you've been to church for the first time, that kind of one minute uh, church, as church ends and everyone else starts to talk in their groups and you're left on your own, feels like five or ten or, or twenty minutes to you. And I know it's not just my church. I'll bet it's your church too. Not that you know that I'm expecting the first person who meets them to do something big, to share the gospel with them in one sitting and lead them to Christ before the coffee comes around. (laughs) You know, just to say hello is not a huge thing. To lead that conversation with a friend to greet them, to, to get over our shyness and to welcome, who knows, someone coming back to God after a great deal of time after many years, who's made big mistakes and they're not really sure how this is going to go. Or maybe someone seeking God for the very first time. Listen next time if someone gives their testimony and talks about what it was like the first Sunday they come to church with all sorts of anxieties. What is often significant, I love it if they always say it was a sermon, but what is often significant It was the little gestures of welcome. The person who spoke to them, who got out the Bible and explained how things would run, who stayed with them at the end for coffee. 
Don't despise the smallness of that. The book of Ruth reminds us in what might seem little acts of kindness, a smile, a greeting, including someone in a conversation, we can reflect the big love and the big welcome of God to those who seek him in a way that might make an amazing difference. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we want to thank you uh, for the Lord Jesus and that by his death and resurrection you welcome us to come and find with you a refuge we do not deserve, a welcome for those who have ignored you and sinned against you. Heavenly Father, we pray that we might remember what you have done, that it might change and shape us and make us wise, that we might long to welcome in your name those who come seeking you, that we might be kind and generous, wise with our words and our welcome in a way that truly honours you. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We have time for questions. Five questions. Questions from Ruth too. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. Everyone, here's a question. What, what, what do you want? What is happening? Look, far be it for me, anyone who knows me, to give uh, conversation tips, you know, on witty repartee. I'm just not very good at that. Um, but. Uh, I think what I, what, what, what's, what's wonderful quite often, and I actually see quite, often quite happen at church, is people have a go at doing that, even if it's a bit stumbling and awkward. You know, when I'm a visitor somewhere, and even in the, the days that I've come here, uh, it's often the person who's come up to say hello to me as so I kind of stand around not knowing anyone, who's not been sure what to say, and then when they find out I'm the speaker, they're even more nervous and, and feel like they're stammering about that. <coughs> Uh, where I'm really, really touched by their kindness in doing that. It's not about how slick or well you do it, but I think whether you have a go doing it, that often will have an impact on others. Um, uh, yeah, uh, is, that, is that helpful? Yeah. yeah.